yeah, no, I just had a thought about the sermon, and I was quick trying to jot it down. And Jaron leaned over and goes, you want me to stand up and tell a joke? Um, <clears throat> yeah. All righty. Uh, we, we're continuing this morning our look at John's first letter, the first letter of John. And we are reading chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. It seems a weird place to begin because the sentence begins with this. And, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. The him and the his here being Jesus Christ. All right, so let me read it that way. And we can be sure that we know Jesus Christ if we obey Jesus' commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Do you see what he did there? Jesus and God? Okay. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Did you follow that so far? All right. So just reiterate, if you say that you know God, but you don't live the way Jesus did, and you're not obeying, you're a liar. That's the elder, not me. Okay. So, dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is is already shining. If someone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in the darkness. All right, just pause here for a second. Compare verse 9 to verse 4. We'll do that later. All right. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble, but... Anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Clear. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. 
Good morning, Lord. Thank you for this time, this place, this community. People that we call loved ones, family and friends. Thank you for this opportunity to, to gather together like that and to, to worship you. And help us to remember that worship isn't about coming in and just sort of kneeling before an object. But we believe in a living God, and so we're interacting with you. And so this morning we pray that, that as part of our interaction with you, that you might help us to hear your voice. And that through the hearing of your voice and, and the interaction with your Holy Spirit, that we might be transformed to be the people that you've called and created us, originally created us to be. People who live and who love and move and act and behave like your son, Jesus. People who are a reflection of your light in this world. People who don't cause others to continue to stumble around in the darkness. Help us to be a beacon. So that as you transform our hearts, we can partner with you in transforming the world. This morning I pray for a clarity of thought and I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. But don't let us stop at the cross. Help us go all the way to the empty tomb where the true promise and the true hope exists. We pray this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so let's see, we, we wrapped up two weeks ago the sermon series that we did on James, and James was a little, James, well, obviously James is different than, than these letters of John, but one of the ways that they're different is James follows sort of a logical progression as he walks through, and as he kind of writes through, and a lot of times when we're reading things, we, we anticipate sort of a logical progression, right? Like, here's A, then A will bring it to B, then B will bring it to see, and you know, you kind of go through the thing. Well, that's not the way that John writes. John writes in a fashion that's known as amplification. All right, so so the the ideas of First John they're not presented in a linear way. Um, this is an, this is actually a well-known ancient rhetorical like uh, form of rhetoric. So what he does is there's a few core ideas that he wants to communicate, that he wants to talk about. It's life, truth, and love. Those are, the, those are his three core ideas. And what he does is he continues to cycle through these ideas over and over and over again. And every time he's doing it, he's using hyperbole, he's, he's using contrast, he's coming at it from slightly different angles and then he's using like simple universal images to try to drive home his points. They're simple, but I think it's also deeply profound what he's trying to explain, which is why he continues to do this over 
and over. Like he keeps coming back, and he keeps coming back, and he keeps coming back. Because have you ever had that, like, you hear something, you hear it, you hear it, you hear it, and all of a sudden you hear it again, and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I got it. I finally understand it. And then you'll have that moment, and then all of a sudden, like a year later, you're like, oh my gosh, I thought I got it, but now I really get it, right? So that's what, what John is realizing, and, and what he's trying to address is, is, is that very that reality, that, that moment that these are deep things he's talking about. Now, also, you can pick up that he's also influenced, like James was, sort of with... Uh, um, Greek philosophy, you can pick up some of that, like the whole, the, the light and the darkness and stuff like that. That's where he's drawing a lot of that from. Um, but he's, he, he begins this whole thing by discussing light versus darkness. And he, and he talks about God's invitation to live in the light. And we talked last week a little bit about that that can actually be a scary thing. Like, we can sit back and we'd be like, oh, I get to live in the light, right? And it sounds great and it's warm and, and all that. And we picture like laying on the beach. But if we take the time to actually think about light is used to expose things. Darkness is used to hide things. And so the call to live into the light can actually be a scary thing. And John acknowledges that. So at the very beginning, we talked about this last week, he says, but you don't have to worry about it because Jesus loves you. He talks about the cross and the sacrifice and things like that. And Jesus has already judged you. And he uses some of the same imagery that you get in the book of Hebrews of the advocate and the judge. And so he uses those two examples of try to, trying to understand who Jesus is and how we relate to Jesus. He uses both of them right there in that beginning of this letter. And the point is that, yes, the light can be scary. I know that. But you're already loved. You're already forgiven. And we, remember I said this last week. And what he's trying to tell you is that you judge yourself and others harder than God is judging you. So accept the forgiveness, come into that light. When you're in the light, then wonderful things will happen. But what are the wonderful things? Right? I'm struggling, and maybe my Sunday school class can help me with this. I am struggling with, we say things, and do we ever take the time to, un- to really try to understand what we mean when we say these things? Your sins are forgiven. Great. What does that mean? Because we can all say it, and we can all mean totally different things at times, right? Are you, are you talking about, like, moral failure? That somehow I've been forgiven for moral failure? Because what's, what, what happens if you're talking to somebody who isn't a person of faith, and you say, hey, your sins are forgiven, they may f- tell you to where you can stick that forgiveness because there's no acknowledgement of moral failure. And so some of us, yeah, we feel guilty about stuff, but other people don't feel guilty about stuff. So anyway, that's just an example. Like, we have to know what we're talking about so that we can enter into conversation rather than just throw platitudes at each other. Come on, live in the light. Fabulous. What does that mean? All right, so what John is doing is he is he's talking about this thing that has been built throughout Scripture. And, and I jotted a few notes because I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. Okay, so there's something that exists before time which was present at the beginning, is present, and always will be present. Okay? He, again, he, he just talked about that again here where he says, God's word lives in your heart, 
and you have won your battle with the evil one. He talks about right here, I have written to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. All right, so what he's saying is that there is something that has existed before time, exists before time, exists before time, which was present in the beginning, is present, and always will be present. We sometimes refer to this as eternal life. It's eternal because it always has been and always will be. Other times we refer to this as God. For Christians, we believe this is Jesus. He actually says, Jesus who is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life, and in him we see eternal life. We get a glimpse of it in Jesus. You look at Jesus, you look at the way Jesus lived, you look at what Jesus taught, you get a glimpse of eternal life. There it is. That's what it looks like. Look, look. This thing that's been forever and will be forever, there it is. Look at it. This is why he's so excited. He's like, ah, this brings me joy. Eternal life has been, has always been, and will always be. That's eternal. There is a current age, and there is an eternal age, eternal life. We live within this current age. Again, you can, we're going to look at this here in a minute, but you can see this throughout Scripture. We live in this current age. We're born into this current age. And at the same time, we're born into the eternal age. The two ages exist, coexist at the same time. It's not like the eternal age stopped when the current age came in, and then one day the current age will go away and the eternal age will reestablish itself. The eternal age has been forever, and for a time, the current age coexists. Are you with me so far? Okay. You're going to catch a glimpse of the eternal age as we have in Jesus, but we cannot see the eternal age fully. Paul talks about this idea that I now see as in a mirror dimly lit. Sound familiar? All right. <sighs> Salvation is the opening of our eyes to the eternal age. When you see it, you will long for it. It will bring you joy, and you will want to share it with other people. How about this? When we catch a glimpse of eternal age, we experience a kind of rebirth. You are born again into the eternal age while you also continue to exist in the current age. That would be why there was a Pharisee who had a lot of questions and asked Jesus, what do you mean, be born again? How am I supposed to go back in the womb? And he gives him this whole example. All right, that's a different sermon. Right, because we still live in both the eternal age and the current age. However, one day, the eternal age is all that will remain. Some call this the age to come, even though it has always been. All right, I'm sorry. It's heady. I know that. But it's important. Right? The author of James talks about two different realities. He talks about God's view of reality and the world's view of reality. God's view of reality is the eternal age, and the world's view of reality is the current age. 
the author or authors of the Gospel of John and the Epistle, they differentiate between these two ages, again, by using the contrast between light and darkness. So there's this contrast that's being made throughout Scripture. The eternal age is light and the current age is darkness. So I sat down and I thought, wow, this is really fascinating to me. Let me make two lists. One list is the eternal age, and the other list is the current age. So let's look at these together for a moment. It's important. All right, so on the left is the eternal life. On the right is what we might call passing away. It's death. It's where, uh, in the Bible, we, Jesus tells parables about, and, and, and they talk about things like, why are, you, like trying to tra- why are you trying to store up treasures for yourself here on earth? Don't you know they're going to rust and they're going to fade away? Referencing that current age. They do not last forever, in contrast to the things that will last forever. All right? Light... Darkness, we talked about that one. God's view of reality, world's view of reality, we talked about that one. Uh, On the left, you have God. On the right, you have the deceiver, the Satan. On the left, we have open system. On the right, we have closed system. What I mean by that is that there are stories about why, why do you worry about these things? Don't you know that God, who is a father, loves you so much and will make sure that you have all the things that you need? Why are you storing up again? Why are you storing up all of these things? Don't you trust that God who knows every hair on your head is going to take, look at the way he takes care of the, he dresses the flowers of the field. Look at how he's going to dress you. Like there is plenty of, every, of everything for everyone. Quit being so worried about being in competition with each other and trying to take away and being worried that somebody else might have something that you want Look at it and understand that it's all a gift from God, right? That's the open system. The closed system is I've earned what I've gotten. You're stealing from me. You're taking from me. There's only so much wealth in this world, and if I try to share that with you, somehow I'm losing out. Okay, that's the systems. The next, on the left, people are children of God. People are children of God. On the right, We create categories to define people, right? And and that's addressed by Paul, who says there's no longer Jew nor Greek. There's no longer slave nor free. There's no longer male nor female. He's using common categories. I heard, I was thinking one time, I was like, he's looking at like uh, relational categories in terms of husband and wife. He's looking at, or, you know, male, female. He's looking at uh, political categories. He's looking at socioeconomic, slave, free. Like He's talking about all the different ways that we categorize. Then on the left, in, in what we call the light or God's view of reality or heaven, you have fellowship with God. On the earth, it's separation from God. Now remember, these things coexist. So you can experience both of these at the same time, which is why sometimes the world seems gray. I live as if I am seeing in a mirror dimly lit. On the left, it's about compassion and forgiveness. On the right, it's about judgment and hatred. On the left, it's about love. On the right, it's about envy and arrogance. On the left, it's about peace and acceptance. On the right, it's about violence and competition. On the left, we would call that the kingdom of God. And on the right, the author of Ecclesiastes would talk about smoke, meaningless, and mist. We could go on. But do you see it? So we live in both. The question is, which one is the truth? 
All right, because he says that. Did you catch that? He talked about being a liar. He talked about the truth, not just truth, but the truth. Okay, so what he is saying here, at least to the best of my ability, what it seems like he is saying here is that... Hold on, let me get rid of some of these notes. Oh, by the way, the best way to try to describe how in the world we ended up with two realities... The authors tried the best to use a poem to describe that. It's in the book of Genesis. It's the creation story. It's once we decided that we get to determine the categories. We get to decide what's good and evil. Once we decided we were going to determine what reality looks like, that's the creation of the other age. Okay. So there's truth, and then there's the truth. And this is really important because what Paul, or sorry, what, what the author, the elder, whatever John is talking about, is that somehow, where did I write this note down? I was quickly jotting down a note. Okay, the truth is made. Man, I was writing too fast. <laughs> evident. The truth is made evident in the way we love one another. The truth is made evident in the way we love one another. Okay. So, continue to follow with me, please. Okay. So, the light is truth, verse 4. And it is directly connected to obeying Christ's command to love one another. So, let's begin with thinking about truth for a second. And then let's take a look at what this new old commandment is. Because he said it's, it's not a new commandment, it's an old commandment. It's one you've had from the very beginning. All right, so there is true and there is truth. Let's just take one of those things that we were looking at, right? And say, let's take the one above um, <clears throat> categories. Okay, so I am, according to this world, I am... And it's true, right? Like, I'm, I'm white. I am male. I am uh, heterosexual. I am middle class. I am, I can't just say Protestant. I'm, I'm United Methodist. I'm an American citizen, North American. Um... I am, I am an Ohio State fan. I was born in Michigan. I, well, give me some others. Like, what, what am I? I'm a husband. Yeah, I'm a husband. Father. Cleveland Indians fan, right? Well, Guardians fan, whatever. But, like, you know these things about me, and all of those things are true. Well, those things are. Some of the things you think you know about me might not be, but, <laughs> but those things are all true, right? It's true. But it's not the truth. The truth is that I am a child of God. Okay, and we're all like, yes, yes, of course, of course. Let's unpack that for a second. We are called to determine our relationships with one another based on the truth, not what is true, right? So my relationship with you should be based on the fact that you are a child of God. 
not based on all of those other categories. My ability to love you well should have nothing to do with the categories that are fading away. They should do with the eternal category of child of God. Now, I sometimes I'm good at that. More often than not, I'm horrible. All right? And so I was thinking about that. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Okay, so uh, Andy and I and, and Rob, we coach baseball. We coach 15 to 18-year-old young men. And um, I can tell you right now, standing here in church, that every single one of them is a child of God. How do I know that? They're humans. Right? Okay. Now, I, um, I step on the field to coach them. <laughs> and now I have ball players. And I have good ball players. And I have bad ball players. I have kids that are coachable. And I have kids that I'm not sure they understand what I'm saying. Right? And I can go on and on and on. I can continue to break that down. The fact of the matter is then, I don't mean to, but I begin to treat them differently from time to time. I don't know. that. In fact, I'm not even sure I'm aware of when that happens or how that happens because I don't mean for it to happen. But Robbie one day pointed out to me, this was several years ago. I do not want to use a current example. Um, so several years ago, we had this young man, and it just breaks my heart to think about what I did, but I hope he didn't notice. Um, he wasn't very good. All right, he, was, he was not an athlete. Like, when he showed up to practice, I could tell he wasn't an athlete. But at fir the fir my first reaction was, you know what? He's coming out. He doesn't have proper shoes. I'm going to give him a pair of Robbie's old cleats. Uh, that was good, right? Yeah, Jeff. Woo, be proud of yourself. Okay. Then I realized that his batting average was not going to get over 60. Not, yeah, 60. That's .06. At the end of the season, his batting average was .053, all right? Andy said he couldn't, he couldn't hit dirt if he fell off a horse, <laughs> right? Like, all right? Sorry, Andy. I just repeated it because I thought it was funny. Um, it is what it is, right? Okay. But here's what I did, and I didn't know I did this. If we were in a situation where this young man would get up to bat and we had people in scoring position and we really needed a run, I coached third base, I did this. I would kick the dirt. And I would look down because I knew this probably wasn't going to go well. Robbie said, Dad, did you notice every time so-and-so gets up, you kick the dirt? I said, I do, I do not. I do not. I would never want him to, like, you know, I try to be encouraging, and I try to, right? No, I don't do that. And then, <laughs> if it didn't happen the very next game, he got up, I give the signs, and I go, <laughs> and then all of a sudden I was like, Ugh. and I look over, and Robbie's going, In our lives, it's very easy to begin to treat people something like something other than children of God. 
when we begin to fully embrace the reality that all of these other categories, the author of Ecclesiastes might say, are meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. It's missed. Then we can fully begin to love the way we're being commanded to love. Now, why is it an old commandment? Why is it uh, not a new commandment? Right? Because he says, if you say you're living in fellowship with God, living in the light, your life will show the true light by loving one another. So this is not a new command. He's actually referring to a command that shows up all the way back in Leviticus. Chapter 19, verse 18, where it says, I tell you to love your neighbor. It's also old in that it has been in place since before creation. Right? Because if it is part of that eternal age, it means it has been always, it is now, and it will be forever. The defining characteristic of eternal life, of the kingdom of God, of heaven, of fill in the blank. It's the reason that this author also writes God is love. More to come on that later. Jesus expands, though, our understanding of this law to include all people. See Matthew chapter 5. Do you want to, do you want to hear it? All right, here, let's just do that real quick. Let's see, Matthew chapter 5. Should have marked it, wasn't planning on it. Oh, Matthew chapter 5. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 43 through 48. You have, heard the, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor. Now, that is what the law says, but he adds this, and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Sound familiar? Okay. For he gives his sunlight, mm, interesting, light, to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that for you? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are expected to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that's another thing we could add. It is perfect and flawed to our category. So for John, as for Paul, and, and above all, as for Jesus, the commands are all summed up in one word, love. The life of God's eternal age is revealed as the love of God's eternal age. All other commandments, the details of what to do and not to do, are the outflowing of this love, the love which has been newly revealed in Jesus, the love which God now intends should be revealed in and through all those who follow Jesus. In this way, others will come to see the light and stop stumbling blindly in the darkness. How will they begin to see the light? By the way we love. It, it, not by the way we hold each other morally accountable. Morally accountable. And, and I want to say that because there's a parable that Jesus talks about where he talks about that there is 
uh, wheat, like the, the wheat, and you know what I'm talking about? And then he separates the weeds and the, do you know the parable? Okay, who separates them? Je- Jesus, right? God, God does that. They're living together. They're living together. They're not trying to separate themselves. They're living together. All right. I try to be aware so that I can live this way, but I often fail, right? All right, so here's the thing. This baseball season, I'm going to come back to this story here for a second. This baseball season is the first season. What they do, let me give a little back. What they do is they allow, when you sign up to play, they allow you to request coaches. It's not a guarantee, but you can request that your son or daughter, depending on what sport you're playing and what league you're in, they allow you to request coaches. And I have always sort of prided myself, if you want to get on me about pride, whatever, but I've always prided myself in that whenever I've been in the draft, I have always been the most requested coach. It has nothing to do with Andy, it's all me. And I've been really, like, even this season, one of the other coaches is like, gosh, like, everybody wants to play with Jeff. But here's also something that they didn't see. This is also the first time that two families that had requested me in the past didn't request me this year. <laughs> no, Andy. We, we, I had to ask myself Why? I had to ask myself why. And the fact of the matter is this. Um, over the last couple of years, I have reduced their playing time. I put them in positions that they don't really want to play. And I, I do that because there's a scoreboard on. And there's a postseason. And I tell myself, well, the, you know, yeah, we tell them every year, There's three things we want you to do. We want you to play as a team and get to support one another as a team. We want you to come out and we want you to get better at the game and develop a lifelong love for the game. And we want you to have fun. And then what I do in my head is I add a parenthetical and winning is the most fun. (laughs) But here's the thing. Winning and losing a baseball game, it's a napkin category. If you were here last week, you, you understand that reference, right? It's an age, it's the present age category. It's not an eternal category. And so I wonder, did I, did I, hurt, did I hurt them? Did I, I mean, not intentionally, but did I do something? Did they see, it wasn't one of these kids, but did they see me kicking the dirt every time their son got up to hit? And so I've thought about it. Not that I can go back and somehow... I will talk to them and make sure that I'm friendly and let them know there's no hard feelings, and, which I think is knowing them, that's what they want, just to make sure that we're still okay. But I did decide that this season I'm going to sit down with the boys, each one of them individually, and I'm going to ask them, what are your goals? Here's mine. What are yours? Let them know I care about them more than I do the scoreboard? I don't know. Like maybe, but, but maybe the point is this. 
Always be reflecting. Always be thinking, like, could I have done better? Is there some way that I didn't love well because I was looking at the categories? Could I have loved better? Did I love you as a child of God? Did I love that person as a child of God? Or did I love them as a 400 hitter? Baseball reference. Those of you that enjoy baseball, you get it. One last thing. There's this crazy thing that happens there, verses 12 through 14. It's called the purpose of writing. Right? There's a pattern that appears in a lyrical form. Child, young, mature. And it's not in order, right? Did you notice that? It doesn't go child, young, mature. It actually goes child, mature, young. And I think, I think it's because we ebb and flow back and forth between being the child, being the young, and being mature. But I also noticed, like, what it says, the young, you understand you are forgiven. There's an awareness when we're young, when we're first coming into this light. Mature is about overcoming the darkness and strengthened by the command to love and that, that command taking over our hearts. And then he says, mature is the fellowship with Christ in the eternal life. Except you're forgiven. Even when you're kicking the dirt when a young man comes up to hit. Allow God's view of reality to begin breaking through the darkness. Enjoy fellowship with God and with others in the warmth of God's loving light. Amen.